This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One Expandable Backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all new Rick and Rick. Flip the switch to rewind and let the self-flagellation begin. (laughs) Because our 2023 prediction scorecard episode is here. That's right. We're revisiting our big predictions for 2023. To see what we got right and what we got hilariously wrong in the worlds of marketing, media, tech, and pop culture. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody loves a game of Rick Tactoe. And everybody rules the world. Hello, welcome to Rick and Rick Rule the World. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Rick Wooten. How you doing, Rick? And, and happy holidays. Oh, yeah. Happy holidays to you, too. It's hard to believe. It's already time for our annual prediction scorecard episode. So for listeners who may not yet be familiar with it, every January, January, February, we do an episode featuring kind of the themes and trends that we see taking shape in the worlds of marketing, media, tech, and pop culture in the year ahead. And then we circle back at the end of the year to see how right or how wrong we were, which can sometimes mean we go out of our way to ridicule ourselves so you don't have to. (laughs) All right. I am relieved that at least one of my predictions came true. In our episode, I kind of just impulsively threw out that Ryan Reynolds would make bank when T-Mobile acquires Mint Mobile in 2023. All right. I remember that. And lo and behold, in March, T-Mobile announced it would indeed acquire Mint for $1.3 billion. You know, you should have put money on it. I know. The only reason I thought it was end of last year and going into the start of the year, Ryan Reynolds was doing a lot of promotions around Mint Mobile. And the last time he seemed so high profile with stuff was with Aviation Gen, which ended up getting acquired by Diageo. And I knew that Mint is an MVNO, so a mobile virtual network operator. They use T-Mobile's network. And that segment that Mint kind of addresses, the sort of low-cost prepaid plans, is apparently the fastest growing segment. So it made complete sense to me. But if you listen to the episode, I just kind of impulsively threw it out. And then, uh, yeah, within two months, it, it came to be. That's awesome. Oh, the FCC is scrutinizing the deal, so it's not a done deal yet, but still I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. Oh, interesting. You see, I thought it was done. I didn't know it wasn't done yet. Apparently, T-Mobile, they were forced to sell off Boost Mobile when they merged or whatever they did with Sprint. So they had to sell off a low-cost prepaid mobile service for some kind of anti-competitive reasons. And then here they are getting another one. So if I'm following the thread, I think the FCC just wants to make sure everything's on the up and up. One of my predictions, and like you, it was a little tongue-in-cheek, was that I predicted that this was not going to be the year for VR (laughs) in an attempt at reverse psychology of predictions because I have been predicting this was the year for VR for several years now. And while we have seen growth year over year after year, we haven't seen that breakout yet. And I keep expecting that it's right around the corner. If you recall, Gartner actually predicted that this was the year. 
and that they were very bullish on it this year. It turned out they were wrong. And unfortunately, I was right in my reverse psychology. And (laughs) there was no breakout. There was no crazy movement forward. So unfortunately, this really hasn't been the year. Although I do have to say, yeah, we have had some really interesting movement, though. I mean, we had the Quest 3 come out this year. We had the Quest Pro come out this year. So we've got a $1,000 VR headset. We've got a you know new $400, $500 VR headset. And they're both extremely powerful. You've got a lot of AAA games kind of moving into the space. So we're still seeing growth. But at this point, we're not talking anything like that and hoping to see for the last few years. Yeah, that's true. But specifically, Gartner was predicting VR, but specifically the metaverse variety would be everywhere. And it obviously was not. And what was funny is it really stood out to me when you mentioned that, because I was surprised Gartner was making that prediction. Well, by June, Gartner had come out with a report called Emerging Tech Adopter Anti-Patterns. Metaverse use cases are plagued by low adoption, which cracked me up. So they did an about face. And the two big reasons they said that are a problem, I think this mirrors things that we've talked about a lot. One was VR use cases in non-gaming environments are failing to live up to customer expectations for scale. Yeah. And immersive meetings using avatars are not yet compelling enough to create sustainable metaverse experiences, which would have been easier just to say immersive meetings using avatars still suck. (laughs) What also is interesting is Gartner says that Generation Z, people born between 1996 and 2010, they're the only demographic cohort really tuning into these experiences at all, and they aren't really impressed with what they're finding. Apparently, in a survey, 85% of Gen Z consumers are not really interested in brands operating in metaverse. Versus. Is that crazy? Yeah. You know, I, I'm disappointed. I really keep thinking this is going to break through and, you know, we still haven't seen that killer use case for it. You know, gaming's been fun. The meeting conferences, yeah, that's all right. And virtual concerts, they're all good, but nothing has been like, whoa, that's game changing. Pardon the pun. That's the thing we need. We need somebody to get imaginative and break them all. I predicted that the domestic box office would hit between eight and nine billion dollars for full year 2023. Now, as of December 17th, anyway, the U.S. domestic box office stands at $8.58 billion. So I'm going to get myself another pat on the back. Now, can we reach $9 billion before the end of the month? Looking at you, Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. No pressure, though. <laughs> The next one I talked about, there's kind of like a two in one was this whole TikTok and influencers thing. And I said that this was going to be the year, let's just take TikTok first. This is going to be the year that TikTok figured out advertising. And I have to say, I think I'm, I'm kind of in the right direction on this one. You and I were talking earlier and you mentioned you saw an article that showed that the advertising audience on TikTok grew by 23% and that last year in 2022, they had $11 billion in advertising and they're expected to hit $18 billion by the end of the year. And I mean, that's significant growth, right? That's almost 40% growth. So yeah, I, I do I do think this is the year that TikTok figured that out. And and we're seeing a lot more people on there. So it, it's it's an interesting time. Yeah, for sure. The ad revenue, yeah, projected to be 18 billion this year. And get this, by 2027, three years from now, the projection is $53 billion on TikTok. To be fair, Facebook ad revenue this year looks like it's going to be $153 billion. So 
there is a big difference between Facebook and TikTok, but it's undeniable that that growth has dramatically accelerated at TikTok. The only caveat for brands is that Mashable recently did a not completely scientific study going through a thousand videos, and they estimate that nearly a third of all videos on TikTok are ads. That's as much as television. So you need to figure out ways to make sure you're getting the reach and frequency you want and that the other advertising on the platform isn't starting to turn people off. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. Okay. And then so you talked about TikTok and then the influencers. That has been interesting to watch. Yeah, the influencer thing is really interesting. And my prediction from earlier this year was that we would start to see influencers starting to lose clout and kind of a shift of brands into other ways of showcasing their products, including peer reviews and things like that. So we have seen that. I, I don't I think I had expected it to be even bigger than it is because we are we are gonna still see the amount of money paid into influencers grow from 2022 to 2023 to 2024, but it's definitely slowing down dramatically. And there's a lot of reasons for this. There was an article on Medium that somebody kind of went through things. They talked about market saturation and how many influencers are out there and that you've got your big ones like Mr. Beast that are tried and true. You've got challenges with the audience starting to no longer trust them. You know, we've seen a lot of articles about, you know, influencers and how they're faking people out. They're not really going to the places they say they are. They're not really doing things. They're not even trying the products. And so there's a, definitely a trust shift there. And then frankly, the rise of data-driven marketing is that continues to put pressure on these things because they're so hard to measure and being able to identify whether or not this is the best place to spend your money. When you really get down to the scrutiny, the influencers don't necessarily hold up to that. And Meltwater had an article called Influencer Fatigue. Are we done with influencers? You know, the punchline there was the answer was no. But again, they talked about it slowing. And then Channel X in August had an article that the influencer impact is waning as shoppers look to save. And I think what people are really looking for right now is a deal. But again, no, it isn't dead. We are still going to see some growth, but it is slowing down. So I was partially right on this one, but I did really believe it was going to be more dramatic than it was. Yeah, it is interesting to see. Part of it is, you know, you mentioned the saturation. I saw, I think it was the drum. There was a survey from InTribe and they found that 86% of, I think it was Gen Zers, it might've just been users, I'm not sure, but, but 86% of consumers say that they're more likely to trust a brand that publishes user-generated content, but just 12% were inclined to purchase a product promoted by an influencer. 81% said a brand's use of influencers has either no impact or a negative impact on their perception of the brand. And 51% say that they scroll right past influencer posts. Who knows if any of that's true? This is people just you know, responding to a survey. But 42% who had purchased a product endorsed by an influencer admitted to regretting the purchase. I think that's the biggest danger. Well, and that's and that's what I was referring to when I was saying about trust earlier. Yeah. I think that that's exactly it. You know, I, I what was it, the fire concert or whatever. I mean, there, yeah, there are these yeah. influencer things that have just gone the wrong direction. And um, they're really starting to affect people's trust in them. And they're, I think people are realizing, hey, you're just like me. You're not all that different. You don't know what you're talking about either. Right. And so anyway, it isn't going away, but I definitely think it has slowed down. We'll be right back. Hey, Rick and Rick Nation, don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com. It's double the Rick in just one click at rickandrick.com. And welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World, Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten. And we're continuing our 2023 prediction scorecard episode to see what we got right and what we got wrong in our predictions for the year back in January. 
I said that I, I, I do feel like the year of 2023 is going to have some EV backlash. People are going to start rebelling against the EV. And, you know, I, I gave you an example of, uh, of, you know, some situations I had been in. You shared one, I think, with your, your brother. Yeah. And, and I yeah. have seen it continue. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where things go in the future. I, I don't know if you saw this, but a few weeks ago, uh, Toyota, who has been slow to the EV game, said that, you know, they're, we're going to bring out some EVs and we're going to, you know, play along with everybody. But net, net, we don't believe that a pure EV is the right thing for the world. We're going to keep investing in hybrids. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. So he, they got a lot of flack because they, quote unquote, missed the boat on EVs. But Toyota has always been, there's not just one way. In yeah. Europe, they sell gas models, they sell EVs, and they sell alternative fuel vehicles. It's a mix of answers to making it where our vehicles are more sustainable and do less damage to the environment. Not just, hey, everybody, go EV. They could be right, by the way. I, w- I would totally hold that Toyota could be right. And the future is this hybrid model, not necessarily a single source. And in fact, there's a Ford Ram truck that's going to already come out and it has a 3.6 liter V6 engine in it. And the only job for that V6 is to run a generator to power the battery pack. The vehicle otherwise is a fully electric vehicle. It's a heavy duty truck. Uh, And I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think it was Mazda. Yeah, it was Mazda who has, it's a CX-30 body shell, which is their small SUV that has a small rotary engine that kind of, again, is mostly powering the battery pack. and that allowed it to have a smaller battery pack and still have five or 600 miles of range. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see where we end up with all this. And, you know, is it a hybrid world or is it a pure electric world? I don't know. I don't I don't really feel like I have a, a horse in this game yet. I don't have a bet, but yeah. maybe for next year's predictions, I'll try and come up with one. Yeah, I think some of the backlash, you know, one now it's become a political issue because you have California pushing to promote EV ownership. So, of course, the other side has to automatically condemn that. In California, it's by 2030. New cars have to be EV. It's well-intentioned, but I think folks are not going to feel comfortable doing this until it's totally clear that you can get a charge anywhere, that charging becomes faster. We had early on affluent people buying expensive EVs. Well, Main Street consumers, they can't pay those prices and they don't fully understand the technology yet. And now it's being forced on them, I think is what the perception is. I've also read that consumers complain that even when they want to buy an EV, they go to the car dealerships and the car salespeople don't seem to understand the vehicles. I saw a Washington Post story. The sales guy had someone come in and wanted an EV. And when they're closing the deal and signing the papers, he tried to upsell this person who's buying an EV with a service plan for oil changes. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we've still got a little ways to go. I think policy should slow down. I think we'd have less backlash. Yeah, totally. The number one thing that that I think gives people a lot of grief is the whole idea of range anxiety. And I know, you know, I've yeah. talked about that before. Just even recently, a couple of days ago, my son and I were talking about a road trip. And as we were kind of mapping it out, just out of curiosity, we mapped it as if we took the Tesla. And long story short, there was one stretch where it would be within 5% of the battery capacity to make it. And it was like, huh, that's got me thinking. Like, that's a little bit worrisome that I, I have to worry about whether or not that one stretch I can make it. You know, here in California, we have chargers everywhere. So it's it's not a concern. But, you know, as soon as you start looking at going out of state, you know, it becomes a little more interesting. So I think that's the other thing we have to finally resolve. I think we made a mistake trying to create this new standard for charging infrastructure when we already had a tremendous network with the, the Tesla one. And, you know, it basically put us behind. And so we we spent a bunch of effort building out these non-Tesla charging stations that work only half the time. And now, you know, a lot of cars aren't selling because 
because people can't get it charged. So we've got to take a step back, take a deep breath, and then figure out what we really want to do to, to build this out. I predicted that 2023 would be another interesting year for streaming. I think I said I wasn't sure if it was going to be 2023 or 2024 or after, but that the streaming model was going to hit big time turbulence. And that's going to end up being an understatement at some point here. There was a a great article mid-year, and it was talking about how the streaming model already is broken. For some reason, the studios saw the success of Netflix and then Amazon, you know, launch these streaming services and get valued as tech companies, when in reality, streaming is just just a studio that's delivering content through a different channel. And with cable, the cable operators pay carriage fees for these networks to run. So it's not like these are just appearing on your TV screen. Your cable company has paid money to get those channels. And that has worked really well as a model for funding great content. Warner and Paramount and all these others said, hey, look at Amazon, look at Netflix. Let's create a direct-to-consumer channel that gets valued as a tech company. And it did work for a while. But now, instead of cable, where we find all our favorite channels in a single interface, now we have who knows how many separate networks on so many apps that we pay for individually. Any mix of like a two to three streaming apps can cost as much as the cable bill. And investors are starting to realize these streamers aren't actually making much money. Most are not profitable. Well, you, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it was last year or the year before, you and I on the prediction show talked about a consolidation of streaming platforms because consumers weren't going to pay for a whole bunch of services. Just like you said a minute ago, like you get two or three of these and it's as much as cable TV was. Yes, the consolidations and rumors of consolidations have started to fly. So in fact, rumors are much bigger than just streaming and could actually impact the entire Hollywood ecosystem. So we had the Warner Brothers Discovery merger a while back, but over the last several days here in the final weeks of 2023, there were serious discussions about a Warner Discovery Paramount merger. That would be seismic, though it's still too early to really tell if that's going to happen. You've also seen Lionsgate and Sony and and others take steps to get out of or avoid setting up streaming operations so that they can license content to larger streaming players. So there is going to be some consolidation coming in the future. When? It's hard to tell. Could be 2024. Could be something that we see sort of happen over a period of time. As B of A analysts have put it, quote, we believe the media industry is inching closer to the tipping point for a wave of consolidation. So we'll see. So so here's the question for you, though. The one you didn't mention is Disney. Yeah, so Disney. Disney CEO Bob Iger has announced that they're going to be doing less content for the streaming service. They are going to be cutting more deals with you know Disney content out on these other streamers and other networks. But I don't believe they have set forth guidance on when Disney Plus will be profitable. What is clear is that there's going to be less programming. They're switching up the creative there. And I think we're going to see fewer shows. You need people to be coming back season after season after season. So they're changing their model to try to make that profitable. Yeah, they definitely were spray and pray for quite some time. I have no new prediction for next year. It's not our prediction episode yet uh, anyway for 2024, but streaming, I think ultimately, I think what you and I said in 2018 got derailed because of the pandemic and it was the only game in town. At some point, there's going to be consolidation and I think we're going to see a lot more advertising on these streaming networks. I think you're absolutely right. We'll be back after this short break. This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One Expandable Backpack. 
With nine practical variations, the Task in One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code R&R Take 30. That's R&R Take 30 at TaskinSF.com. And we are back. Rick and Rick rule the world. Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten. And this is our big 2023 prediction scorecard episode where we're continuing to revisit our predictions back in January. What we got right, what we got wrong, and where things might go from here. One of my other predictions for uh, 2023 is that the hybrid workforce is here to stay. And, you know, I base that on a couple of things. One, just by the nature of just, you know, reading the news and talking to people, I kept hearing over and over again that people do not want to go back to the office. They're fighting it. And I kept hearing that these companies that had invested in large amounts of real estate were trying to force them into coming back to the office and that there was a ton of tension. And and then I, I started reflecting on the fact that all these companies who really grew quickly through COVID did it in a hybrid or remote way. And, you know, I think that we've discovered that that's a possibility. So anyway, so my prediction was that hybrid workforce is here to stay. I, I think I'm on the right track. And, and here's my proof points. According to Forbes, this was a, an article from a few months ago that 12.7% of employees were fully remote and another 28.2% were half remote, half in the office. So doing the math really quick, that's a little over 40%, which is a statistically significant number, right? I mean, 40%. And that over Overall, 98% of workers want to work remote at least sometime during the week. So they don't want to come in every day. And so there's definitely gravity around that. And Time did an article a couple months ago, and they went even further. And they said that the number of people in the office full-time in Q1 was 49%, so just under half the people. But in Q2, that number dropped seven points down to 42%. So now 58% of the people are not in the office full-time, according to, again, their research and their studies. At the same same time, hybrid, not just fully remote, but hybrid, which was 20% in Q1, jumped to 30% in Q2, or 50% increase just between two quarters. So, you know, all the statistics are really starting to come together to point out that in a way, companies are being forced into this hybrid model, whether they want to or not. You know, we've got the pressures of the people, you know, saying, hey, I don't want to come in full time. You know, I figured out how to work remote. And then secondarily, real estate and everything else has just gone through the roof. So they're feeling the financial pressures from that side as well. So I still support it. I still think that it's here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. I do think we'll continue to see this shift. I think we'll go through times over the next few years where maybe it's a little bit more in the office, a little bit more remote, and we'll have that back and forth until we find that equilibrium. I was saying that generative AI is going to have a come to Jesus moment in 2023. I was specifically talking about generative AI in terms of content generation, not necessarily all of its possible use cases. But I think that we're in the early innings of working through a lot of things with generative AI. The legal issues around generative AI only hit the beginning of the beginning of a reality check. We have lawsuits against GitHub, Microsoft, OpenAI, and others about acquisition of data and content without permission and without attribution. Google has actually come forward and said, we'll pay your legal fees if you get sued for using our product. There are class action lawsuits against MidJourney, Stable Diffusion, and other text-to-image tools due to what plaintiffs believe is a violation of copyright due to scraping these images from the internet to train the AI models. I just found out, Rick, that I may have a personal stake in that issue. So some researchers found that there are more than 180,000 books that have been allegedly hoovered up into the Book 3 dataset. 
this is a data set that organizations use to train generative AI. And it's what The Guardian calls, quote, the biggest act of copyright theft in history. Now, I think that I read that about 14,000 books from my publisher were allegedly used in the Book 3 data set. I don't know if either of my books were part of that data set, but needless to say, if you're an author or a publisher, you're outraged that their protected content could be used and monetized without permission. And don't be surprised, I guess I would say, as we start to see some pretty hefty financial penalties for this kind of alleged scraping. And, you know, we've discussed in a lot of episodes, the Copyright Office is not going to grant copyright protection for works generated by AI. So I think the reality check has started. You're seeing more and more news stories about that, but it's just the beginning. All right. Thank you for tuning in. We hope your holidays have been wonderful. And here's to a spectacular 2024. Until next time, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. <laughs> <laughs>